word. We're in John's uh, Gospel, chapter 2. Another very familiar passage, like a lot of them are to many of us who have been followers of Jesus, his disciples. But John's Gospel, chapter 2, and the first 11 verses this morning. And I'm going to invite you to follow along as I read. It's 11 verses, but they're really not that long. So, again, praise God. Good to see everyone this morning. We're going to dig into the word. On the third day... A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and in verse 10 he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. And this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, and he thus revealed his glory and his disciples Put their faith in him. Uh, I think I would be believing something too if, that, if I was a part of that process. But praise God. And we have here in our text, as you know, in John's Gospel, there's this record of Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of Cana. And I just want to share with you four lessons or things that we can apply to our lives so that you know, every single day and every moment, really, that we live in our lives can be a successful one and one that is blessed and that we experience the abundance that God has to offer us in our lives. And first thing I want to point out that we should take to heart this morning is that we need to invite Jesus into our lives. Goes without saying, I think, but, and you might have been a Christian for a long time, but let me just say it again. You've got to invite Jesus into your life. Now, let me pause, and if you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you're not a Christian, there has to come a point in your life where there's a crossroads, and you have to do something with Jesus, and I simply offer to you and say that, and ask you, have you invited Jesus into your life? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, you simply do that by faith, by admitting that you're not perfect, God is, and that he can make you perfect by forgiving your sins because he died on the cross and rose again. You acknowledge that, you believe that, and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. He will forgive you, and he'll be your Savior and your Lord. He will. It's done by faith. But for some of us, we've done that, and still, we can get so used to just like the people in our lives and even our spouses and our kids and family. And we just go through the motions and we do the same thing and it just goes on and on and on. All of a sudden, even though they're there, they're really there. So can I just suggest that we need to invite Jesus to be a part of our lives every day, all the time. We should be inviting Jesus. Jesus was invited to this wedding in Cana. And it's a great, it's a great reminder 
And it shows that Jesus, who is fully human, he went to weddings and he didn't decline and he accepted invitations and he went to parties and he had fun and he lived life and he experienced sorrow as much as he experienced joy. He lived the human life. And he modeled for us how to do that perfectly, right? And even as someone who was fully God and fully man, the son of of God and the son of man, he did that. And so he goes to this wedding and the one constant, just to point out in our lives, must be, as Christians in particular, but even if you're not, the constant that you can have in your lives is Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus, you can have that stable, constant element in your life. And his presence in your life and in our lives will keep us stable because, you know, everything changes every day. Attitudes change. Opinions change. Politics change. Finances change. Emotions change. The list goes on and on. It's always up and down and changing. And you, sometimes it's a whirlwind and it seems so unstable. But our relationship with Christ and when we stand on him, he gives us clear guidance into the future when we stand on something firm and stable. See, Jesus was no stranger to various events in people's lives, as I mentioned. He, and he knew how to live in all those circumstances. And when Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding, he accepts He accepted the invitation. There was a personal invitation, and Jesus says, I'll go to the wedding. Can I just say one simple statement of truth here? Your invitation to Jesus for him to be a part of your life will not be snubbed. Amen. Praise God. 0.02% of a confidence in this room that I hear No different than the first service. So two things. Either you're sleeping, or you don't actually believe that. I'm being extreme. But I'm going to say it again, so you can actually join me in being confident when I say that. Right? When you ask Jesus to be your, your party, and you invite him to be a part of your life every day, you won't be snubbed. Thank you. I actually feel like I did something good today now. I'm kidding. Praise God. It's the truth. I don't care how you slice it. You can argue, yeah, but if you got sin in your life, you're not living. God, if you ask Jesus to be a part of your life, he will always accept that invitation. He will come. How many times have you experienced that in your own life? I've experienced that. And I say that with great confidence and with joy. And yet... So humbly, because I realize that so many times when I, 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 in my, when I look at it in my, through my own lens, I realize I have no right even asking him. And he still invites me to ask him. And when I ask him, he says, yeah, I'm coming. I'm already coming. I'm there. I'll be there. When you ask him, he won't snub you. He's not going to just blow you off when you ask him with your whole heart. You want him to be a part of your life. But how do you invite Jesus into your life, your everyday life? Let me keep it very simple. Very simple. First, ask. Well, duh. Yes, ask. When's the last time you asked Jesus to be part of your day? Now, listen, when you wake up, are you actually aware, cognizant of all that's on your plate for the day? Or maybe you don't even want to think about that, but you know there's stuff there. And do you actually stop and say, Jesus, be a part of my day. 
Thank you that you are part of my day. I invite you to guide me, to rule my day, my thoughts, my attitudes, whatever language you use, but something along those lines, to invite him into your day and say, Jesus, come into my day, be part of it. He's not going to leave you, but he wants you to invite him. James 4.8 instructs us. And James says that we should draw near to God and he will completely blow you off. Thank you, Sophie. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Man, when you make that step, God runs to you. Like, there's so many examples of that in Scripture. He, and you invite him and, you, and that's, that's your, you're, the way you step toward God is you ask. You just talk to him. And all of a sudden, he's running at you. Because he wants to be with you and part of your day and your life. Second, after you've asked... Hear what he has to say. Now, I didn't say listen, but hear what he has to say. We'll get to listen in a few minutes. But hear what he has to say. In other words, read the Bible. I'm not here to tell you you have to read six chapters every morning or night or whatever, whenever you're hearing from God. But read the Bible. Listen, hear what he has to say. Hear, and you'll listen later, but hear what he has to say. Or are you just asking and then you're like, God, be part of it. But then he starts talking and you're like, hey, I don't hear you. You know, and it's like, phew. no, you got to hear. You ask and then you hear. And, and thirdly, after you've heard, what happens is Jesus becomes comes part of your day and you start to see his presence in your actual day, in your thoughts and everything, because you can focus your mind on him and what matters to him. You know how you do that? Just you think about him. And you focus on things that last and aren't fleeting. Colossians 3, 2, the Apostle Paul says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's right. Amen. It doesn't mean that we don't live on this earth and those things don't matter. Don't misunderstand me. But boy, our mind should be fixed on heavenly things, on the things. The kingdom of God is righteousness. We seek those things first and we think about them and everything else starts to line up with God's mind, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I, I'm inviting Jesus even in my thoughts and my focus, and my frame of thought is there, and it's, and it's God-filled. I asked him, I've heard him, and now I'm thinking about him. And, and it's amazing what happens after that. It's powerful, because you start, you start being like Jesus. It's pretty awesome. See, Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he desires to die for our sins, but he desires to come into our hearts. Not just on a one-time basis, because he'll be there, but every day to flood us and fill us. And we sang, empty me, fill me. This is what it's about. Our relationships, our lives. But you have to personally invite him from right here. Your invitation to Jesus to be a part of your day makes all the difference. Do I have to remind you, and I speak from experience, that when there's that day and then it becomes two days and I don't get into the word or I don't ask him and I don't hear, my days are cruddy. I just, they are. I mean, they, they, really, they really are. I mean, it's not that it's like the word, but they're just not the same. So, hint, hint, invite Jesus into your life every single day. Secondly, bring your needs to Jesus. All right, so you've asked him to, to be there. Jesus got invited to the wedding. And we invite Jesus, he's part of our life. But, but stuff happens in life, right? 
Stuff happens, unexpected things, things happen, things you don't imagine, things you didn't plan on, they happen, right? And, and we, all have, we all have issues in our lives, don't we? I'll just leave it, we all have issues in our lives. And when things don't go favorably in our lives, when, when the wine runs out, and celebrating turns into troubleshooting, and laughter becomes worrying over various struggles that life gives you, man, that's... That's when we start to say, okay, Jesus, you're here. I invited you. But then Jesus says, okay, I'm here. Are you going to give me your troubles, your needs? And this is a picture of what life is like without Christ. When, when all the laughter becomes worrying, we're anxious, and it just floods us. And then we're not inviting Jesus, and we're not hearing him. And all of a sudden, we're, we get overwhelmed. And we start resorting to our own efforts, all our efforts, our systems. They leave us empty in the end, and we know that, but we still resort to them. And we, you know what? We have the need for new wine that won't run out. Are you following me? Yeah, I know I do. The truth is that the needs or the troubles in our life often come suddenly. And there, and can I just say this? Maybe it's just me, but it feels more often than not that the troubles that come suddenly, then on top of that, they're accompanied by other troubles. You know, like when it rains, it pours. It's like, it's not a, like, God, isn't one problem enough? I have to have four at once and they all came like today? Like, what is up with that, God? Come on, you know you talk to him like that and it's okay, by the way. And it can be so overwhelming. I love an episode, an episode in the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories. I have, there are, I mean, I love a lot of stories in the Bible, but there are a few, but this is one of my most favorite, it really is one of my favorite stories. And in the Old Testament, there's a king of Judah. His name is Hezekiah. He's also, he's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 37, but his, the account is in 2 Kings chapter 19. And I, I love this story. I really do. He's Judah's king and the Assyrians and King Sennacherib they come and they're, they're, there's a siege on the city. They're gonna, they want to take over Jerusalem. They want to raise all you know what and take over. And they're threatening and they're, they're, they're torturing and psychologically just playing games. This, this is going on and on and on. And eventually there comes a point in time where Sennacherib, he, he actually sits down and after saying all he said and threatening and, and all this stuff through messengers, he actually writes a letter to King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah's messengers go out and they meet with Sennacherib and they get a letter. And in the letter it just says, Hezekiah, king of Judah, here's your letter. They take it and they go back. And they go back and they give it to King Hezekiah. They run back. And Hezekiah gets it and he goes, oh, okay, whatever. He sees the seal on the back. There's no seal. He sees the seal. Oh, man, it's got the big S on it, Sennacherib. He breaks the seal. He opens it up. And he opens up his letter, and he's reading it. He's like, hmm, what does he want to say? What's going on? He's he suffered enough already, and he's, and he's torturing us, and he's reading everything. He's checking everything out. It's fine print, and he's going on and on. And he's like, you guys realize that this is just on paper everything that he's been saying? And now he's just on paper, he's threatening us and he's mocking the God we trust, the almighty, the one and only true God. And he's saying he's going to take us down and we're a bunch of no good nothings as God's people. And now it's in letter form. Do you know what Hezekiah did? Because he's all surrounded and the people are probably trembling and there's fear in the ranks and doubt. He's got to hold his own. He's got to lead. He's got to be strong. And everyone's worried. And he takes this letter 
And he walks down, he goes in, and he goes to the temple, and he walks down. Let's pretend it's the temple, and it's all gold, whatever. He walks down, and he lays that letter right down before God. It says in, in, the, in the New American Standard, he spread out the letter before God. It's like, can I, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised, but if it was me and I was Hezekiah, he'd walk in, and he'd walk in, and he's in God's presence, and he'd go, see all this, God? See all that? It's all yours. I know you can take care of that. I know that you see what's going on. You see what's read there. I'm giving it to you. You know every word. You take care of it. I'm submitting it to you because I'm yours. You're mine, and I'm giving you my need. Do you know that you have to do that? Sometimes you got to go, and you could even write it down, and you lay it down before God. How many of you have ever been in a situation? I was just talking to Nate the other day. It was kind of cool. But, but my wife and I, we make a habit of, we make decisions in our lives. We as Christians, we just try to be so spiritual about everything. You know, we try to, I'm going to pray about it. God's going to take care of it. And he, he is going to, all right? But you can, God's given us something in here. Most, well, yeah, we, we, he's given us something here, right? I'll be careful, right? And listen, we make a habit of making a pro and con list. And we write down every stinking thing we can think of that is a pro and con for big decisions we make. And we take it, and we have done this. When we, when, before we got married, before we stayed at the college and worked at the Bible school, we had a pro and con list. And we said, God, here it is in paper form written down. And we laid it down on the coffee table. And we said, God, this is our need. What do we do? Take it and show us. There's power in that. I'm not telling you it's a formula or there's magic behind it. Do it and you'll be blown away because you will engage your mind and your spirit together before God and he will speak to both. And he will confirm in such a clear way what happens to Hezekiah when he comes into the temple and he throws that letter before God and says, God, do you see this rubbish? We're your people. I'm giving you this. It's my need. We're in trouble. God answered them and they were saved. In fact, they were spared. They, they had success. They were fine. Everything was just fine. God took care of it all. But he went, he brought his need before God. God was with him. He's a covenant, there was a covenant relationship. God wasn't leaving. And then he invited God to be a part of it by, and then he brought his need to God. And I love that story because he literally gave his trouble to God. Can we do the same? If you do, you'll be amazed at the success you have. Listen, having family, friends, and trusted counselors is awesome. God's given us all those things. You know, to find solutions to our problems is a blessing. But remember, I want to just remind you, it's not your own strength or wisdom that will net you a godly solution. It's not. It's not. And that's humbling for some of us because we think we got it all together. God says, those are tools and those are resources, but man, you got to give me your problem. And when you do, man, I will be your solution. And it might be through people, but you will be blown away. Make Jesus the center at your time of need or needs. Your faith in him will move him to act on your behalf. And I'm not just saying that. I really believe that. I want to move along. Thirdly, give God what you have. In other words, give to Jesus whatever you have. See, when the wine ran out in this, at this wedding, all that was left were six empty stone jars at that wedding reception. Jesus simply asked that those jars would be filled with water, ordinary, tasteless, 
odorless water, although, as I mentioned in first service, I, back in the day, coming from cisterns and wells, I, I don't know how tasteless and odorless it was, but it was, it was H2O plus, some small stuff. That's all it may seem you have to offer Jesus. But all he asks is that we give him all that we have. How about, like, ourselves? Your weakness your tiredness, your moments of emotional instability. We're all there. We've all been there. Our seemingly monotonous routines of life. We've been there and it feels like we're just tapped. And then something comes unexpectedly and there's no more wine. There's no more wine to be poured out. We've heard testimonies and sermons of God taking the small and making them large and great, of taking the weak and making them strong. Scripture's filled with it. And in our own lives, we've heard of stories personally, but also those who are close to us who have shared of God taking the poor and enrich them to overflowing and then their generosity overflows to others as well. We've seen these things when people give whatever they have to Jesus. It was all because whatever they had, they made it available to God. The principle is that Jesus is interested in your availability. Listen, you will never impress God with your ability. I want to say that again so that it sinks in for some of you if you missed it. You will never impress God with your ability. And if you try, you're going to be really tired. can't do it so just give him what you got and see what he does and give him all the concerns around that and when you're at your wits end just offer yourself to him and he's capable of doing what's necessary but man we struggle with trust in that don't we just give him what you have and the greatest thing you have is you finally and lastly if you want to succeed in living in abundance and to learn from this story, you got to do what Jesus tells you to do. See, here's where we go from hearing to listening. And you got to do what Jesus tells you to do. The last words of Mary that are recorded in the Bible were from this wedding. At a time of need, with empty jars that are laid out before Jesus. And she simply says, Mary says to those around her, Do whatever he says. This is the best advice, I really believe this, that we could ever get from probably anyone. And it comes from the mouth of Mary. Do whatever he says. It may be difficult. It might not even make sense. It might defy what seems so rational. And yet God wants implicit obedience. That's what he wants. Do the right thing. Heed the word of God in every situation and God's blessings surely start to follow. I promise you, do what he says. You will be tempted to take matters into your own hands by your impatience or even by others' advice. And and again, they have their place. But these, if these do not agree with what Jesus says in the Bible, don't do it. Don't do it. Always, always, always do what Jesus says to do. And he tells us here in prayer too, 
but it's always lining up with this. In so doing, you're going to acknowledge, when you do that, you acknowledge that, that he is the authority and that he cares for you. And that's a blessing in itself. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18, there's the account, as well as other chapters, of King Jehoshaphat. And another great king, who had a, a, a kind of a bad ending, but that, that's another story. Um, he lived his life, and, and he had a pattern. One of the patterns that he did before he went into battle or made big decisions for the nation he always inquired of the Lord first. Can I just ask a simple question and move on? Can we say that about ourselves? That we inquire of the Lord before we make any decision? Or are we just running and doing our thing and we're all happy and think we're all good and in charge? There are many examples of individuals who tried to take matters into their own hands in the Bible and even do God's work for them, for themselves. And the end was not usually good. I'm going to refrain from going there because of time, and I have a list of four cases here, but you can probably think of some who did things their way in the Bible, didn't listen to God, and it wasn't good. But I'll give you one. Do you remember the Apostle Peter? Jesus is about to be betrayed and they're going up. And all of a sudden they're surrounded by all these people that are, have weapons and clubs and they have all their torches and they're around Jesus. And they're gonna, he's going to be betrayed. And Peter, here comes that knife, that sword. And he's wielding this thing and then Malchus is there and he slices his ear off. That's not bad. You've seen worse movies. Listen. <laughs> He slices his ear off. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, what are you doing? If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Put that thing away, man. And he goes and he takes that ear off the ground and he puts it up to Malchus's ear and it's bang, like nothing ever happened. Peter tried to take matters into his own hands. And he got in trouble for it, in a sense. But can I just, I, I mentioned him. As, and I, he was when I, because, because on the other hand, a couple years earlier, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, the disciples, including Peter, had been fishing all night long. And they came back to the banks, and Jesus is teaching to all these crowds of people. And he gets into a boat to kind of pull out into the water so he can, he can project his voice, he can hear. And he gets in that boat, and then shortly after he gets in, he goes, Hey guys, why don't you go out into the deep and cast your nets down and catch some fish? They're like, we were out all night. We caught nothing. What are you talking about, Jesus? And then it's Peter. Peter, the one who says, we've been out all night. He says, you know, but if you say so, we'll do it. You can read it. It's in Luke 5, 5. Nevertheless, if you say so, we've been out all night. But nevertheless, if you say so, we will do it. Because they understand that Mary's advice And her counsel to do whatever he says always works out the best. You know what the result was? They caught so many fish, they couldn't, it was hard to bring it all in. And in John chapter 21, John, who loved detail, actually said they caught 153 fish, but it was so heavy they couldn't even get it in, overflowing, full to the brim. The nets were gonna rip. Hmm, I think it pays to listen to Jesus and to do whatever he says. And this account in the Bible reveals the path. 
to success in any situation that we may find ourselves in. Listen, when Jesus is invited into your life and you bring your needs to him and you give him all that you've got left, which is just you and your heart, and you do what he says, transformation takes place. In fact, I believe a miracle takes place. He'll change your sour experiences to a sweet one. He'll uh, transform our feelings of fear and apprehension and about obstacles that are in front of us to those of confidence and peace. And your negative, selfish, and ungrateful attitude becomes positive, giving, and thankful. And for all the blessings of grace that only He can give and all your trust is placed in Him. So where are you at? Where are you at that? How, how are you living life? Are, are you going to heed what we learn from this story in John chapter 2? Will we take it to heart or are we just going to go on with life as normal and usual and then miss out on, can I just say it, miracles? Like water being transformed to wine? Like, like when you have no energy to all of a sudden you're energized? Like when you are down and depressed and, 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 and about to go out, all of a sudden joy floods your soul and your countenance changes. That's a miracle. You, you, to change your heart and your mind, to have the joy of the Lord, not just happiness, but the joy. That's a miracle. People can't do that. Not ultimately, not in a lasting way. And it fades and comes. We keep going to the source. We invite Jesus. We give him our needs. And he does amazing things. Amen? Let's take that to heart as we go and let's share just the abundance that he has to offer us and let's like see things happen, man. Amen. Amen. In our lives. And we can testify of how awesome God is. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for this day. Again, thank you for your word. I pray that as we take to heart what we've heard, that it would cause and it would well up inside of us, so it would start to well up, Lord, just this faith and a confidence in you that you're the God who cares for us, who loves us, and that you don't just blow off our invitations. And so, Lord, even now, we just invite you into our lives. Lord, I ask for those who have never asked you to be Lord and Savior. They have not invited you into their life as King and as the one who washes away sins. I pray, Lord, you'd give them the faith to ask for forgiveness for their sins, to believe that you died for their sins, and that, Lord, at their invitation, you come into their lives by simple faith, and it's by your grace. That's it. Lord, for those of us who are your children, God, I pray, and that we are Christians, God, I pray that you would uh, solidify, Lord, Lord, and firm up our faith and our trust in you. Help us, Lord, to remember that uh, we need to invite you every day and to just cast all our cares on you, to give you our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you do whatever you want with that, God, and then help us to do what you say. And then help us to be amazed at what you do powerfully in our lives to glorify your name and to make us everything you want us to be. Lord, we love you, we give you our day, and we thank you, Lord, for the fellowship we have uh, in you through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.